So some of you know or follow me on uh, what I do full time, and that's the Illinois Radio Network and the Center Square focused on statehouse coverage. Um, I do this as a part-time gig uh, to, to help pay those bills. Uh, and uh, it's it's really fulfilling, and I, and I do enjoy it. And a lot of what I uh, do outside of being on air, I bring back and uh, we unpack together and getting a reaction to it. Uh, and it's right here with Springfield's Morning News on 92.7 WMAY, Springfield's News and Talk. Uh, and you can chime in anytime, live and local, 217-629-7970. You can also follow me everywhere on social media. Just search Bishop on Air, and uh, we can connect that way, and you can sound off uh, there as well. I also love getting tips from people. Uh, I get uh, emails uh, regularly, messages via Facebook or Twitter or even phone calls and uh, some interesting stuff. Some I'm able to follow up on, others I'm not. But if you've got something you think is interesting, you can always reach out. Uh, 217-629-7970, that's the phone number live. Uh, but you can also email me, bishoponair at gmail.com. So following the legislature, I've been doing this now for, gosh, eight some odd years, really intensely and closely. And um, uh, it was uh, the tail end of the uh, Quinn administration when I started, and I uh, came in uh, a few months before the election. Election happens. Bruce Rauner is the Republican that was uh, elected in uh, 2014, and then you know we had four years of uh, budget impasse, and uh, it was uh, it was quite a mess. I remember working for like 17 days straight during uh, you know negotiations over a Fourth of July holiday weekend. What was that? 2017. Uh, and then you get to uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker. First year, a lot of big things happened. You know, the passage of cannabis, uh, uh, the the uh, 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 what's the term I'm thinking of? Uh, minimum wage. There you go, increasing, uh, and a variety of other things. But then COVID hit. Uh, and then I remember working like 60 days straight uh, just to, to cover what the governor was saying uh, remotely, of course, with the stay-at-home orders and all of that. Uh, but now here we are getting ready to enter a new era of uh, continued uh, Democrat control of the Illinois State House uh, through both chambers and the governor's office and all of the uh, statewide constitutional officers from attorney general to secretary of state and so on. But before we get into the new General Assembly that's going to be seated mid-January, we still got to get through this current one that uh, carries over from the past year and a half or so. Uh, so here we are in the fall veto session stage of this General Assembly, and uh, that starts next week. So Tuesday, lawmakers are heading back into Springfield, and uh, they got a lot on their plates. No vetoes. No vetoes. The, the governor didn't veto anything because he's got a Democratic supermajority in both chambers. Uh, so uh, no vetoes to deal with, but... What about the Safety Act? Leading up to the election, the Safety Act was a huge concern, and it faces dozens of state's attorneys and sheriffs across the state that have filed lawsuits, and now they've all been consolidated. We're expecting to hear uh, arguments in that uh, consolidated case against the Safety Act in December. Now, the Safety Act passed in early January of 2021 when lawmakers were uh, in COVID protocols. The House was in the uh, Bank of Springfield Center, uh, very much uh, you know, far and away from having public interaction. Uh, and in the uh, early morning hours in the Senate, the pa they, they passed this bill, the Safety Act, and then went to the House and they concurred uh, right before the previous General Assembly uh, wrapped up. 
So it was super lame duck, super late, and they passed this massive bill. The Safety Act has a lot of provisions, criminal justice provisions, police regulation provisions, uh, but it also has the Pretrial Fairness Act, which kicks in January 1st, and it would end cash bail for several different types of offenses. Uh, and that means that an individual could get arrested for a crime, uh, being charged with a crime, but being let go pending trial. Uh, you're innocent until proven guilty, supporters of the bill say. And you shouldn't have to be behind bars pending trial if you can't afford bail. Uh, so starting January 1st, they're going to get rid of that. But there are, again, dozens of states' attorneys across the states that have filed lawsuits against the Safety Act's implementation. And uh, one of those is the sheriff of uh, Kendall County, Eric Weiss. He uh, he talked about how uh, this uh, this measure needs to ultimately be shot down or he's going to have uh, himself and all the other states' attorneys and sheriffs go all the way to the uh, U.S., uh, the Illinois Supreme Court with this particular question. The law is declared unconstitutional, and obviously there's no law. However, an appeal will go directly then to the Illinois Supreme Court. So anytime a law is found to be unconstitutional, it's an automatic and direct appeal to the Illinois Supreme Court. So you've even got uh, state's attorney Dan Wright here locally that uh, is challenges in the courts as well, with uh, Sangamon County Sheriff Jack Campbell uh, also challenging this. Uh, but Governor J.B. Pritzker talked about on the campaign trail before winning re-election, there does need to be changes. Uh, he initially said that, and then he uh, his messaging seemed to change a bit, saying, well, we need to change it because Republicans are misinterpreting it and saying that we need to make sure that it's clear and explicit that we're only uh, letting out certain people and we're holding violent offenders, right? And uh, saying that there does need to be some clarification. Even the state's attorney, uh, rather the attorney general, said there needs to be clarification. Uh, here's what Governor J.B. Pritzker had to say uh, is possible when lawmakers head back to Springfield next week when talking about the Safety Act. It's been done by the General Assembly over the last number of months in working groups, and so they're going to bring that to the veto session, and uh, I'll be watching carefully. I've made my thoughts uh, clear, and uh, we'll see if we can get something done during the veto session to address the changes that, that we ought to be making. Governor J.B. Pritzker uh, talking about the changes that could be made, uh, but what are those changes ultimately going to be? Uh, we'll watch closely. Uh, and some are uh, pushing back against possible changes, but uh, obviously something that uh, is going to be rapid pace whenever they return for fall veto session uh, for several weeks here heading into the end of the year. Uh, but what about uh, in, the, in, in fall veto session, some other things that could come up, uh, including... Uh, the possibility of abortion or gun control. Uh, the governor talking about this yesterday as well. Uh, about uh, he's he's he, he sees something happening. When uh, it's not clear, but with Democratic supermajorities again in both chambers and a Democrat in the executive branch, um, he's expecting to to have uh, some some agenda policies ticked off. We'll we'll see. Um, I think that the fact is whether we get it done in November, we get it done in January and early in the session, whenever that may be. Um, we are going to work on passing an assault weapon ban and making sure that we are protecting women's reproductive rights by expanding capacity and in making the investments that are necessary here in our state to protect women.
So abortion, gun control, those are some things that uh, the governor very much uh, could have uh, the supermajority address either in fall veto session if the votes are there or in early January for lame duck session or when the new General Assembly is seated. Um, but the governor also said, you know, he's willing to look at uh, some some tax cuts. Uh, he heralded during the campaign the $1.8 billion his administration and Democrats say they gave back to taxpayers through a $50 per individual uh, rebate and uh, up to $100 rebate for up to three kids and up to a $300 tax uh, property tax rebate and then suspending the gas tax uh, until after the election and a variety of other things that Republicans, though they voted for, criticized as election year gimmicks. All right, That was separate from the budget that Republicans voted against. So uh, to watch all of that unfold over uh, the past year was kind of fascinating. But what about making tax cuts permanent? Governor J.B. Pritzker yesterday addressing that. I would love to work on continuing to balance the budget and run surpluses so that we can look at permanent tax relief. Again, permanent tax relief. I think uh, a lot of people would welcome that. Uh, so we'll see what exactly happens on that front uh, with Governor J.B. Pritzker and the Democratic supermajority in Illinois. Uh, coming back, uh, we'll talk about uh, whether the governor's looking at uh, vaccine mandates for K-12 through students, uh, something that uh, the Republican challenger Darren Bailey brought up on the last day before the election uh, as something he claims Pritzker's looking at doing. Pritzker was again asked that, but he also was asked if he would do anything different from dealing with COVID-19. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll get to that next year with Springfield's Morning News. All right, back with Springfield's Morning News. I'm Greg Bishop on 92.7 WMAY, Springfield's News and Talk. We've heard a lot of what Governor J.B. Pritzker had to say yesterday at a news conference, a post-election victory news conference he held up in Chicago. Uh, he only spoke with prepared remarks for like a minute and a half, two minutes or so, and then he took about a good 20-some-odd minutes of questions, so there was a lot there. Uh, and among some of the questions uh, were continued uh, response to what uh, his Republican challenger said uh, on the final day before the election, and that was that uh, internal documents show Governor J.B. Pritzker's administration uh, looking and evaluating at the process of uh, COVID-19 vaccine uh, mandates and not necessarily looking to make that happen, but what's the process? And some of these emails indicate that, uh, you know, they got to have some panels convene and do some public hearings and then, you know, bada bing, bada boom type of thing. Uh, but all of that comes after the CDC uh, several weeks ago put the COVID-19 vaccine on the list for recommended childhood vaccines for the 2023 schedule, which is not a vaccine mandate. But states across the country do take that schedule and then they implement a mandate uh, on top of their uh, their K through 12 schools, something that Illinois has done with previous vaccines for like polio and uh, you know a variety of those uh, kind of legacy uh, viruses and vaccines. But the COVID-19 vaccine still very early uh, in its uh, you know, overall development has changed. Now we've got what the, the, the bivalent or the, the bivalent or however you pronounce that vaccine uh, that's available for COVID-19. So is that going to be required for K through 12 kids uh, going to school. Keep in mind, the governor did previously require that uh, K through 12 staff get the COVID-19 vaccine, even when it was in an experimental stage uh, and, and emergency use authorization. 
Uh, and then you had uh, the the uh, students and staff for college and universities having to get COVID-19 vaccine. Those have since been relaxed, but is this going to be something coming up uh, to the surface for K-12 through schools? Again, the governor was asked about that yesterday. Uh, here's what he had to say in response. Just to clarify um, what, what your administration and IDPA might be doing regarding COVID vaccines in school, because that you know, was raised by Senator Bailey at a big event on Monday. And... Secondly, could you just talk about, you know, if there's anything, you know, looking back at the last four years, are there any things you would have done differently? Any things you've learned? Um, well, on the former question, I'd just say, you know, they meet on a regular basis to look at vaccines and, you know, the, you know, what requirements there ought to be. Uh, there are no policies or plans to expand to include a COVID-19 vaccine in those requirements. Um, so uh, the governor then goes on to answer the question of uh, what in the past four years uh, would you have done differently? Uh, I don't know if that was a question directly uh, about just the past four years or if it was specifically about COVID-19. The governor did talk about how, you know, hey, I worked with Republicans for the first year, then COVID hit, and then they made it political, he said. Well, they made it political because they were frozen out entirely. Uh, the legislature didn't meet. The Democratic-controlled legislature didn't meet, didn't push back on the governor's continued executive orders. Uh, the governor uh, was uh, not cooperative with Republicans on a variety of things, including, uh, you know, giving last-minute heads up as to, hey, we're going to shut the things down or we're going to dial it here or there. Uh, so Republicans felt really left out, and then you just get uh, that that cycle uh, spinning for two-and-a-half-plus years. Uh, but we still have COVID-19 vaccine mandates uh, up in the air. Uh, what's going to happen, uh, we shall see. But uh, we're still in an emergency. The governor declared an emergency uh, for like the 35th month now, I think. I don't know, I'm losing count. Uh, since March of 2020. And here we are now, November of 2022. Uh, good morning. You're on WMAY. Hey, Greg, what happened to my body, my choice? Well, uh, when you raise when you raise that argument with people, uh, they they tend to say, "Well, you're getting vaccinated for other people," and that was for what they said, uh, you know, a year and a half ago. But now so, we know that if you get the vaccine, you can still spread it. Yeah, it, it's it's not a vaccine. It does not work. It literally doesn't work. Well, I mean, listen, it, it it's been shown to reduce the severity of uh, the disease, uh, but when it comes to you know uh, pure, distinct statements like that, you have to be a little bit more clear. And I think you can safely say that the vaccine um, was at one point. You know, you even had uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci and Rachel Maddow saying, if you take the vaccine, the virus stops with you. Even Chuck Todd saying. You take the vaccine, the virus stops with you. That didn't turn out to be the case because then we saw breakthrough cases time and again, still today. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I you, know. Go ahead. I would say I know probably out of all the people I know, probably thirty five percent of them are vaccinated. The other half is not, or the other part is not. And and I'm not I'm not making this up. Everybody I know that has got COVID in the last 10 months to a year, every single one of them is vaccinated. And not just vaccinated, but probably also boosted. Uh, I as well have uh, known people who are you know vaccinated and boosted, uh, multiple boosts, and they recently got COVID. Uh, good morning. You're on WMAY. Good morning. Um, I am my body, my choice. And I believe that vaccines should not be mandated as well. I liken the COVID vaccine to the flu shot. I choose not to get a flu shot, 
I chose to get a COVID-19 shot. But that was my choice. And I think it needs to boil back down to being a choice. Well, and, and, and really where we're talking about this is in conjunction with whether or not kids need to be required to get the COVID-19 vaccine in order to go to school. And that, uh, is that choice up to the kids or should that be up to the, the government or should that be up to the parents? I think it should be up to the parents. Um, you know, like you said, we've had a, it hasn't been around very long. Um, it doesn't necessarily stop the spread. You know, it does um, help with the severity. Studies have shown so far. But again, you know, we don't mandate our kids to get a flu shot to be able to attend school. So I don't think they should be mandating a COVID shot to attend school. Appreciate the call. And I imagine we'll talk more about this because uh, it's expected the, this this panel uh, with state government will be convening to discuss uh, the prospects of uh, what what kind of changes do they need to make to the 2023 schedule that uh, the State Board of Education will then uh, impose onto uh, school districts. Now, there are exemptions. There's religious exemptions. There's medical exemptions. But uh, who knows? Could there be a move afoot to take away the medical exemptions for uh, not having to comply with uh, certain types of uh, vaccines? We shall see. All right. It is now 733. I'm Greg Bishop. If you need to follow along with everything I've got going on, you can search Bishop on air everywhere, social media, online, whatever. And we can connect uh, via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or you can email me bishoponair at gmail.